0: Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Ecclesiastes Life Under the Sun. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton.
1: For everything, there is a season and a time. And a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace. And a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek. And a time to lose. A time to keep. And a time to cast away. A time to tear. A time to sow. A time to keep silence. And a time to speak. A time to love. And a time to hate. A time for war. And a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better than for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. And God seeks what has been driven away. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him dependently in prayer. Lord, we are poor. We're needy. And we're in need of being fed. And so help me to rightly handle the word of truth. And grant us ears to hear. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In, in the third chapter of Ecclesiastes, and I'm sure you've already picked up on this, Solomon, following his introductory statement, introduces a poem. And that's why in your translation you'll see that it's structured as such, starting with verse 2 through 8 is a poem. And it's, it's a poem that introduces 28 topics paired into 14 pairs, comprising a multiple of seven. And as many of you know, the number seven within the Bible is a number of completeness, a number of perfection, which Solomon uses to describe the seasons. He uses to describe the times of this life under heaven. Each of the 14 pairs is presented Line by line as we read them. But Paul, what rather, Solomon is using a poetic technique here. It's referred to as a marismas. And a marismas is when you take two opposing topics, you couple them together, and in so coupling them, you're expressing both of them, but you're also expressing everything in between those two opposing topics. And let, let me give you an example. The first one is to a time to be born and a time to die, which says simply that there is a beginning, there is an ending, but also there is a time for everything between birth and death. And so you'll want to look at each of these lines of this poetry in this way. Now the poem... Some have said, well, this is a totality of life. This is talking about everything uh, within life. And it's it's really not. It's not a comprehensive statement. It's not even an attempt to be comprehensive, listing everything that we encounter in life. Rather, it is a poetic elaboration on this life. An elaboration talking about, well, that very first verse. In fact, if you get anything from day, today's sermon, get that first verse. Look at it with me. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Uh, we would refer to that as a, a thesis statement. That's, that's setting the beginning. You've got to know that verse before you can understand all of the verses that follow. That's key to this text. And to read the poem, we then immediately realize, well, this is talking about the life that I live. This is the life. I know what he's talking about. But at the same time, the topics, if we look at it honestly, they seem almost erratic. Is there an order to which he's giving? And to a certain extent, that too, the poem in its very structure, is also telling us something about life. Because you know, and you do know, there are good times And there are bad times. There are times of crystal clear clarity. And there are times of ambiguity. There are times when life seems oh so refreshingly simple. And there are times where life doesn't make sense at all. Life is a complexity of matters under heaven. All of which is under God's Sovereign domain. The Hebrew translated in the ESV here within that first verse, translated here as matter, all things under heaven. This matter may also be translated as purpose. It may very well carry a dual meaning. But it can also be translated purpose as it is in Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10, in which God says, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose and so god indeed establishes seasons god indeed determines time working providentially but god works providentially with purpose everything that god does has purpose the westminster confession describes it this way in the 5th chapter it says quote God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy." That is a beautiful statement of the providence of God. And therefore, everything and every matter under heaven are included in all that God directs, disposes, governs. Including every season that Solomon's talking about here. Including every time that Solomon is talking about here. Every time in totality according to God's providential punctuality. God's providential punctuality. Now, In the fifth chapter of Genesis, many of you know, there's a transition in that part of Genesis, and we're given what is typically referred to as the generations of Adam. But actually, interestingly enough, in verse 1, it doesn't start with Adam, it starts with God, and then flows from there. In that fifth chapter of Genesis, if you're taking notes, it, starting in the second half of that first verse, it says this. Listen closely. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, He created them. And He blessed them, and He named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, He fathered a son in his own likeness, after His image. And named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And he died. And the list, and it's an astonishing read, the list then continues. It goes from Adam to Seth, from Seth to Enosh, then to Kenan, then to Mahalalel which is fun to say anyway, then to Jared, then to Enoch, then to Methuselah, then to Lamech, or Lamech, then to, one that you're all going to know, then to Noah. And the account is striking. If not for the longevity of these men, but also just to think about their progeny. We know nothing of their births, but that they were born. Little to nothing about their lives except the scripture says that Enoch and Noah walked with God. And we know nothing of their deaths except that they died. Except for Enoch, which says that God took him away or took him up. Yet every one of them, every one of these great men who lived these extraordinarily long lives... All of them had a beginning and an end of this life under heaven. Each lived a life full of years. And I mean full of years, right? Can you imagine the accumulation of life experiences if you live to be 969 years old? (laughs) I'm like, enough, (laughs) right? Right? And while our lifespans are considerably shorter, we have something in common with these men, don't we? We do. We live under the same sun. We all live similar lives under heaven. Your mother gave birth to you. A day you didn't get to choose. And... At this moment in time, you don't know the day of your death. Generations precede you all the way back to what we read in Genesis chapter 5. All the way back to Adam. You were created by God. You were created in His likeness. In every succeeding generation... Children were born, children will be born in the likeness of their parents, carrying forward the likeness of God, all the way back to God's creation of Adam. But here's the news flash: We are not God, for we are born and we die. Times determined by God, and all of this life in between our birth and our death, all of this life is from God, who is sovereign over all of life. From all eternity, He did, by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. That's sovereignty. But God's providential punctuality is then comprehensive over all of life, even down to a seed planted in the ground and the fruit that will be produced from that seed planted in the ground. See, I may know, as a hobby gardener, I may know not to plant my tomato plants before April 15th. But I also know that if I do plant them around April 15th, I'm probably going to get... A few tomatoes in late June and July. And it's a glorious time at the Clayton house. But in God's covenant with Noah, that's exactly what he promised. You remember what God promised to Noah? He said, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, covenant and heat, rather cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And so, what do I get to do? I get to plant and, and string and prune and fertilize and eventually, hopefully, maybe harvest the tomatoes. Not because I have determined I'm going to grow my tomatoes when I want to grow my tomatoes because I am sovereign over my tomatoes, but I'm not. You're not sovereign over your tomatoes too if you venture out there as a gardener. God is. But He's the one that determined the seasons as they are. And we benefit by trusting in His provision. As it is in life, so it is in death. If you look at verse 3, Solomon says, There is a time to kill. A time to, ki- to heal. Murder, to be clear, is always sin. But there are legitimate times of killing. Again, if you could go back to God's promise to Noah... God said to Noah, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Or if you think about another example, in the Old Testament, think about the unregenerate priest, Hophnius, and rather Hophni and Phineas. They were killed when they went into battle carrying the ark. Remember, went into battle. They were killed by the Philistines. And then the writer of 1 Samuel gives us a little snippet. It says, it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And so there was a time for them to be killed. But also as in killing, so also in healing. Think with me about the Gospel of John chapter 9. In that ninth chapter, there was a man who was born blind. He had never seen a day in his life. And the question was asked, so Jesus, who sinned? This guy's parents or him? Do you remember what Jesus said? Neither. He was born blind, quote, that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so they were. And he was healed by Jesus and then returned and worshipped the Lord Jesus. And so we must be careful to presume that we understand all of the complexities of why things happen, and yet, simultaneously, we must understand that God's purposes prevail always without exception and in a world of constant change we need to understand there is a life cycle for everything there is a life cycle for everything think about it this way when you read your bible and you read about the life of Solomon and you read about all he accomplished you go wow it is extraordinary what he must have accomplished. What's left? Is there anything left from what Solomon accomplished? You see, there is a time to break down. But there's also a time to build up. Destruction and construction. When I was a child... Puzzles frustrated me. They still frustrate me, my wife will tell you. But puzzles frustrated me. And here was the problem. Who wants to invest time putting a puzzle together that when you finish, you scrape it back in a box, put the lid on it? I'm like, what? That's ridiculous. I kid you not, I wanted to work the puzzle, shellack it, frame it, and hang it so I could go, done. Now, I think it's, when I was thinking about this this weekend, I think it's one of the reasons why when Sydney and I were in in Scotland and, and all of those beautiful stone walls that go, and they're like puzzle pieces, right, Janice? I mean, you're working a puzzle, building these stone walls, and then they last for hundreds of years. I'm like, that's the way you do it. That's how you build a stone wall. That's how you work a puzzle. And you know what? those walls are not going to last. Now, they've lasted a long time, but they're not going to last. There is going to be a time when those walls will fall and the stones will be cast away. But tearing down and building up is often not as trivial as working a puzzle or even a stone wall. Birth and death, sowing and reaping, killing and healing also can involve the highs of highs and the lows of lows. And so there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to to dance. I have wept so hard, and I know all of the church members and regular attenders here have no problem knowing this. I have wept so hard before I didn't have tears left to cry. No more. And I have laughed so hard that the next day that my muscles right here, if you call them that, these mu- whatever these things are here, they hurt so bad. I have just laughed and laughed and laughed. I have mourned the loss of a loved one. I have moved my body in celebration that maybe remotely might Kind of be like dancing when my children were born and my grandchildren were born, and you have too. And and some of us are better dancers than others because that's life. Life is laughing and crying, mourning and dancing, and everything in between. Sometimes, believe it or not, I need a hug. But a lot of times I want to be left alone. Sometimes I'm focused and in hot pursuit. And sometimes I can't find a thing I'm looking for. Sometimes I'm accumulating. Sometimes I'm in the driveway at Savers, giving it away. Sometimes I know precisely what to say. And sometimes I need not say a word. Sometimes I'm as steady as a rock. And other times my emotions range from love to hate. Sometimes I'm a person of peace. Sometimes I'm armed and ready for war. And you could say the same. Why? Because all of us, as Solomon says, we're all children of man. Or the Hebrew word man there is Adam. We are all children of Adam. All of us. All of us are children of Adam. Living men and women made in the image of God, yet fallen in sin, and we're living with its consequences. But the same cannot be said of God. And we need to be very careful here. Because you and I, we, know, know, we do not know one nanosecond of our existence apart from sin. The consequences of the fall begin at conception as does life. But God is not made in our image. God is holy. He who is neither constrained to time and space, nor knows sin, but providentially, as the confession says, upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the very greatest even to the least. God is not a man. He is not made in God's image. He is God. Almighty, and by man I mean sinful man, fallen in Adam. Charles Spurgeon says this, listen to this, this is is so good. Spurgeon said, I believe that every particle of dust that dances on the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. That the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. The creeping of an aphid over the rosebud is as much fixed as the march of the devastating pestilence. The fall of leaves from a poplar is as fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. And so we must learn to trust God. We must learn to trust God in our birth. We must learn to trust God, here's the biggie, in our death, in planting and plucking, in killing and healing, in breaking down and building up, in weeping and laughing and mourning and dancing and casting away and gathering and embracing and refraining and seeking and losing and keeping and giving away and tearing and sowing and silence and speaking in love and hate and war and peace and and in every single thing else we must learn to trust the Lord. We must learn to trust him and In every matter under heaven. And the more that we trust, here's the blessing that comes from trusting the Lord. One of the many blessings that come from trusting the Lord. The more that we learn to trust the Lord, He develops in us a providential perspective. A providential perspective. And so Solomon asks in verse 9, and by the way, these passages are tied together, 1 through 8, Nine through fifteen, and I'm going to show you how they're tied together. Solomon asks in verse nine, "What gain has the worker from his toil?" It's a rhetorical question, right? Here, the worker's toil is what—the business of life. And Solomon has already said in verse one, I mean, chapter one, verse fourteen, that all of life is a vanity, or it could be translated a vapor. All of life is a vapor. It's a striving after the wind. But though a vapor, and here's the key for us to learn, and this is one of the big takeaways from the book of Ecclesiastes, though life is but a vapor, it's not without meaning and purpose. Even a vapor in God's economy has meaning and purpose, as does your life and mine. By God's design, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Which is not to say that everything in life is beautiful, because it's not. What it means is, is that the design and the order of God's providence is. It is a beautiful thing to step back and to think, my God has orchestrated everything. Everything in life may not please us, but we can find beauty In the pleasure of God. For we were created in His image, and because we were created in His image, we are eternal beings. And though death is a reality in this life, under heaven, there is a heavenly reality that's beyond this life. Which is why There can seem to be a discontinuity, and we've all experienced this if you're old enough. This is why it feels like that there is a discontinuity between our perception and our expectations. This sense of, this is it? This is all of life? I'm a Christian. Why does not everything fit into just this perfect, seamless life? Somebody on television told me I was going to have If I find in myself, C.S. Lewis said, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Lewis got exactly what Solomon is saying in verse 11. Look at it with me. God has put eternity into man's heart. He's put eternity into man's heart. That's why. When sometimes something in life does not make sense to us and we think, where's the disconnect? Oftentimes it's because, and we're all guilty of this, yours truly included, we often look for heaven where heaven is not. Heaven is not under heaven. Heaven is heaven. For we understand that God has put eternity in man's heart. We know this intuitively. Man knows this. Men and women who don't even know the Word of God know this to be true. But our creaturely being and our fallen state cloud our perspective and they distort our judgment. We cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And we want to know, right? And this frustrates us. I need to know. If I only knew the day of my death, I'd skip it. The time to kill, and I'd heal it. The time to break, and I'd build it. The time to mourn and weep, and I'd miss it. And, and so on, and so on. That's the frustration. And so the question that we should be asking in this passage this, then how in the world can I live in a world with so many uncertainties? So many things that are outside of my control. If you are honest with yourself, if you begin to make a list, the old legal pad, write them out. I'm going to list all the things that are outside of my control. <laughs> I mean, you can't finish the list. you might might be able to finish the few things that are inside of your control, right? But there are so many things outside of our control. And I, I love the way that David Gibson approaches this in his book. He says, how do we deal with this uncertainty in life? Part of growing up in the world is learning to grow small. To grow small. And here's he explains it this way. He goes on and says, God intends us to be like children who trust their parents to know best because they can see what the children can't see. And they know what the children can't see. And they know what the children are not yet able to know. And here's the thing. The relationship of trust is built on the character of the parents. If the parents are good and wise and kind, then the child who cannot see the end from the beginning has nothing to fear. So my daughter says, Dad, don't leave the bread knife on the edge of the counter. Because Rosie can reach up and grab the bread knife, and that's not a good thing, Dad. Don't do that. We don't leave the bread knives on the counter in my house, right? We push them back. Not going to let Rosie reach up and get that knife. How much more so? How much more so for the child of God? How much more so for the child of God whose heavenly Father is wise. He is powerful. He is just. He is good. He is merciful. And He loved us so much that He sent His only Son. I can't live that much. I can't love that much. But God does. So I don't have to know the beginning from the end. If I trust my Heavenly Father, who not only knows it, but He ordained it. I can live with joy today, because my Heavenly Father, He controls, He ordained tomorrow. I can forgive those who hurt me. I can do good even to those who hate me because I am loved with an everlasting love by my Father who is always forgiving. And He is always faithful. In the providence of God, I can enjoy the simple pleasures of life. Solomon brings it up here again, right? Your life may be a vapor, but you know what? Enjoy your work. Enjoy a good meal. Enjoy a good drink. Enjoy your friends. Because they're gifts from God. In fact, every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. And in all of this, we know that He is at work in all things for our good and for His glory according to his providential purpose. According to his providential purpose. And so, we're born, and we live our lives, and though we will not reach the magnitude of Solomon's wisdom, nor the works that he accomplished, we all seek to make our mark on life. We all seek to leave some form of a legacy. But, here's the problem. It won't last. It won't last. Even Solomon's works are gone. Everything that you and I do will be forgotten one day. Nothing we do will endure. And you say, well, what kind of hope is that? Huh. Well, the better question is, what is your hope built on? Because whatever God does endures forever. Whatever God does, such as giving His gospel in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, as soon as the fall occurred. He's no more pronouncing the curse than He's giving the gospel of Jesus Christ to come. You may consider yourself a partner with God. And God does, in fact, use means. But He also is free to work without, above, and against them at His pleasure. Truly, the psalmist gets it right. Our God is in the heavens. He will do what He pleases. And therefore, what God does is always according to His purpose. And His ultimate purpose, from the beginning to end, in every matter under heaven... Is his glory. For he is God and we are not. I may look through our old family photos and I may lament days gone by, or I may hold my granddaughters and rejoice in this day that he has given. But God doesn't look back and he doesn't look forward. Because He is not constrained to time and space. The end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done, His counsel will stand. His purpose will prevail. Solomon says, God seeks what has been driven away. Or, it could also be translated, God seeks what He pursued. Meaning, that God is working out His purposes. He is always working out His purposes. And always they will prevail. And that should scare the proud, but comfort the humble. We were created not to know it all, but we were created to worship the God who does. And that's the big distinction. You want one takeaway from Ecclesiastes? That's it! God did not create us to do it all, to know it all, to be it all. He created us simply to glorify Him. And the French benefit is we enjoy Him forever. We were created to worship God. Our purpose then is to respond. To fear Him. To worship Him with reverence and awe, which He enables by His grace through faith in Christ Jesus, the fulfillment of His promise to redeem us all. And so He has. He has done it. All glory be to God. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, how often we consider wrongly that all of the things that we're dealing with in life, all of these things somehow are so significant, and we lose sight of the providential picture, we pray that You would help us by Your Holy Spirit to see the perspective that You had given us, that You have created us to worship You, to be dependent upon You, to live our lives in complete and full submission to You. O oh God, may You be praised through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www dot c p c f s dot org